Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we'll hear the last message in the series called The Faith that's based on the book of Titus, a letter to Titus from the Apostle Paul. Pastor Sean is in chapter 3 with a call to action. And it's more than just volunteering at the church. Think bigger, advancing God's kingdom type stuff. Let's impact our city and the culture together. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. And if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today's part one of the message called Productive Lives. Pastor Sean is in Titus 3, verse 12. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. This morning, we're going to wrap up our series called The Faith. We've been walking through the le- Paul's letter to Titus, and it's been awesome. We've seen some very powerful things. And I want us to look at the last little bit, because this is a part of these letters that Paul writes that we often skip over. His conclusion is really important, and I want you to take a look at it. It's Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. And we're just going to read a few verses here to conclude this. This takes us to the end of the book. Paul writes, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I've decided to winter there. He's talking to Titus. He's saying, I'm sending some leaders to spell you for a bit, because I want to get together with you. And he's asking Titus to meet him. So he's going to spend some time, almost this mentoring time, with Titus. But he's sending some of these other leaders that we've we've seen, Tychicus, okay, but we don't know much about him. Don't know much about Artemis, but we know that he's going to send them. He says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything that they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Important phrase. Make note of this verse. Do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs, not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, this is a part of these epistles that we often just skim over. And I think we do that to our own peril. I think think the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. These are included in these letters for a reason. And Paul concludes most of his letters with this type of send-off, these personal references, these names, these people. And these are important. He lists even more of them at the end of 2 Timothy, just as an example. 2 Timothy 4, 19-21. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. If you know the book of Acts, you've heard these names before. These are people who were just supporters in the faith. They ended up actually training, working with Apollos, who became this orator who helped defend the faith. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and the brothers and sisters. Who are these people? He ends each letter this way. You want to see a really significant list. Romans 16, last chapter of the book of Romans, the whole chapter is like this. It's these personal notes, these references to different ones in the body. And we just kind of skim over them. I, I want to stop and say, wait a minute, who are these people? See, we don't know many of them. Some we have little bits and ideas, but we really don't for most of them. Most of them, or at least many of them, were not leaders, and they weren't ever going to be leaders. They were never going to write anything. They weren't going to start major works or go on major journeys. And yet they were a crucial part of the church. You read the way Paul speaks of them. 
I want to suggest these are people just like us, exactly like us. They had jobs they had to take care of, they had families, they had responsibilities, they had bills they had to pay, they had joys in life, they had hurts, they had dreams. They wrestled with things like insecurities, maintaining balance in life, sickness, their own or family members, government issues, politics, and finance, just like we do. They had to deal with all the same things. This is the church, and they were in so many ways just like us. But I want to suggest that what we know of them from these little glimpses and passages is that there is something very different. It's how they saw and interacted with the faith. And by that, I mean how they viewed normal Christianity. What's normal for a regular Christian, an everyday Christian? And I think the key is found in that phrase that we read in verse 13 and 14, productive lives. You remember what 13 said? I think it gives us an example, and it sets up 14. Remember, he says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they have everything they need. And then he says this, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. They must learn to do what is good providing for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. He gives this contrast between a productive life and an unproductive life. And it's all based on this idea of good works. What, what is he talking about, good works? Well, he just gave us an example. Help these people in spreading the gospel. He's talking specifically about the good that comes from God's desire to bless every person on the face of the planet. God's desire to see people have abundant life, real life, bringing that good into the lives of people. And he says, you need to help Zenos the lawyer. You need to help, you need to help Apollos. You need to help these people. And then he uses that as an example. We must learn to devote ourselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives unproductive lives. That's an interesting phase. He's talking about work that advances the kingdom of God. Unproductive lives. It's, it's interesting. As I was thinking about this and kind of contemplating that, every time a person is born, stop and think about it, a whole group of needs come into existence, right? That person has needs. Today we are celebrating my daughter Lauren's birthday. Lauren is 28 years old. Lauren's right here. Let's give it up for Lauren. Look at the birthday girl. Oh, we love you, baby. When Lauren was born, okay, it was this crazy, surreal thing. She's our first. I became someone's dad, okay? I, was, I didn't know jack about being a dad, okay? I'm, I'm just this young guy who all of a sudden, you know, I knew it was coming. And I just watched my wife go through the most amazing, horrible, amazing thing in the world. Okay, ladies, we're not worthy. We're not worthy, okay? All respect to you. But I watched my wife do this, and now I'm in a room, and there's my wife and my daughter, and I'm her dad. And the weight of that is just, I'm like shell-shocked. Because Lauren came to the world, and she brought nothing but a lot of crying and a bunch of needs. Sorry, baby, you really, you brought not, not much to the table, okay? You know what I'm talking, parents, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I felt incredibly in love with her in those first days. But you, you, do you know they just send people like me and Lori, we're just kids, they send us home with these people and they live with us. I'm like, okay, we get to go home with her. When do we bring her back? You know, they, they, they're no bringing back. They, they send us out. They're, the hospital staff, they're waving like grandparents at the end of a week's vacation. Bye. Bye-bye. 
it's on you. And I, I really realized, I'm like, you know, we get her home, we fall crazy in love with her, but I know we're, this is the long haul, okay? She's going to want a room. She wanted a room. She's very demanding that way. Food, clothes, me, me, I, I, you know? College, we're, we were in for the long haul on this thing. And it, that's, by the way, when every single one of us was born, that's exactly what happened. A whole set of needs developed. Because with our entrance into the world, we brought a bunch of needs with us. Now, here's my point with all that. If all I do in life is meet my own needs, what that is called is that is a wash. I've not yet lived a productive life. I've just, my presence creates needs. And if all I ever do is meet my own needs, then I haven't added anything. I haven't produced anything. I've just taken care of myself. Right? It makes sense when you stop and think about it. So it's a net wash. I'm not, I'm not, you know, there are some folks who can't meet their own needs and they're having to depend on others. I'm not talking about that. Okay, that's a net negative. But I'm, I'm just talking about if, if what, what I do is I take care of me, I take care of mine, I take care of the needs of me and my family. I'm a, net, I'm a net wash at this point. I haven't yet entered into that place of productive, adding more than I'm consuming. And this should cause us great concern because here's the deal. One of our unique distinctives as a culture in world history, we are the greatest group of consumers ever to hit the planet and that's true this is not you know this is not up for a lot of dispute really we consume at a level that other generations other people would think unbelievable if you told people how much we would be able to produce as a culture as a people in every area food agriculture uh resource construction building all the different things that we produce if you told people what we they would say, there's no way you can consume all that. And yet, we have been trained and raised as a consumer society. And, and here's the thing. It is good and it is honorable to take care of and meet your needs of you and your family. That is a good and honorable thing according to the scripture. I want to be crystal clear on that. But I do want to say, at the point that that's all we do, we're we're at a net wash. When we start talking about productive lives, he is talking about something in the kingdom where we can literally be a part of what God wants to do to bring his blessing, bring his life to others outside of ourselves. And we can contribute something. And this is, this is a, kind of for us a bit of a, a challenge because many of us have been taught, well, I earn it, I can consume it. That's absolutely fine. And I want to challenge us as followers of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge that assumption that we should consume everything that we produce. I believe that the the idea of being productive versus unproductive is this idea that when it comes to the good that God wants to bring in the world, the good of God's kingdom, we should be people who contribute. We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Productive Lives. It's in the series, The Faith based on the book of Titus, which is available right now at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Matama Park. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And now back to the message, Productive Lives. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. And one of the disadvantages I think we have for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who maybe grew up in the church, we grew up in an era where there was this division between the clergy and the laity. Right? You know what I mean when I say clergy and laity? Pastors and like the regular people. Okay? I learned when I was becoming a pastor, oh, you're not going to be a regular person, you know, for all kinds of reasons. This division where, where we kind of created this system where, hey, pastors want to be on platforms anyway, obviously, right? We love this stuff. And people start to say, well, we'd like to have a guy up on a platform to represent us. So we'll put a guy on a platform, and people, guys got on the platform and said, I kind of like being on this platform. And so we said, let him do the ministry. We'll attend. We'll pay for it. He does the ministry. The, the pastors do the ministry. And... We kind of cheer them on, and we kind of support. That would have seemed ridiculous to this group of people. They didn't have any such distinction. They were Christians. They were Christ followers. This divide is a, a kind of more modern construct that, that, that really gets in the way. And what's interesting is that when I'm t- thinking about this pastoral thing, I came across an article, and you're like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it does have something to do with it. I'll explain it in a minute. Because it really connects with how we deal, how we look at this mission of ours. One of the things, uh, Lifeway actually carried this. Uh, they wrote an article based on a recent Associated Press poll that they did in cooperation with Associated Press and University of Chicago on how people believe, are pastors good for the culture? Are pastors good for the culture? I was very interested because I knew they would say, oh, they're awesome. I just knew that's where that would go. A recent poll found 55% of Americans believe clergy members and religious leaders have at least a somewhat positive effect, impact on society, with 19% saying they have a very positive effect. Okay, 55%. Now, that means 45% say no, they don't have a positive, right, in one way or another. However, this is far below. 55%, 55% of people said, yeah, I think pastors have kind of a positive effect on culture. And I, this is, I, this, I tuned in on this because I felt this. Do you know there's a lot of pastors who have been looking for very creative ways to restate what they do? so they don't have to tell people I'm a pastor because of this changing perception. I mean, it's kind of lying about what we do, but, you know, it's, it's for a good cause. 55% say pastors have a somewhat positive impact. That is far below other professions that people say have a positive impact. Like, Americans are more likely to see teachers, 84%, as having a positive impact. Medical doctors, 83% positive. Scientists, 80%. Members of the military, 75% as positively contributing to society. In fact, one in five, 21% of people believe religious leaders have at least a somewhat negative impact, including 6% who say their effect on society is very negative. Very negative. Now, the good news for us pastors is we rank higher than lawyers, which is good. Only 42% think they do. (laughs) Sorry, lawyers. Business executives, too. You guys are really bad, too. 40% people think 
This, this is what the study showed. Unsurprisingly, relig- people who are religiously devout, religious adherents, are almost twice as likely as the irreligious to say clergy make a positive act, impact. That's 62% versus 32%. But what that means is 62% of people who are religious and are a part of churches say that pastors make a positive impact. 62%. That means there's 30, 38% going, yeah, I'm a part of it, but boy, it's not good. Bottom line, half of people describe members of the clergy as caring, as, and this, that this extremely or very well describes clergy. Around a third say it describes them moderately well, that they're caring. Fewer people see pastors clearly exhibiting intelligence. Well, that one makes sense, 40%. Honesty, 39%. Trustworthiness, 34%. That's the truth. That's how, that's how these people see this. Now, what's interesting, among those who identify with a religion, okay, so, so you guys would count in that, those who attend services at least two to three times a month, 61% are more likely than those who don't attend as regularly, only 37%, to believe pastors are intelligent. So what that means is the more you attend, the smarter I get. Or the more you attend, the dumber you get. I don't know. It could be either way. We don't know. And you're like, why? what, what does this have to do with anything? Because I don't think it necessarily just reflects how people feel about pastors. I do understand. Negative press, you know, uh, and, and understand something. I, this is where I think media is a great distortion. I think there is bias in media, and I think it exists because it, it's very obvious. But, but not only that, media has to make a profit. And we all know bad news sells, right? So you hear about the pastor who is caught in this scandal. You don't hear about the 20 or the 30 who did something really good the week before that. And that's not just pastors. That's anybody. You hear about the bad things people did because that's news. That's what news is about. You don't hear about the hundred people who did something really good because it's just the way it works. So I do think some of those perceptions can be shaped, but I also think, and this is where it really matters, I think it's how we view our mission, how we view what we do. Because what's interesting is what people who are religious adherents, how many of them didn't think what we do really matters, make a positive impact. Because that's really a reflection. How do we view this mission of ours? Well, of course, teachers do good for society. They teach children. That's important work. Church is kind of, well, the mission of church, it's optional. It's not, does it really matter? And this, these are Christian people, some, some who hold that view. Well, yeah, doctors, they're saving lives. Does, but but well, the pastors and the mission of the church, eh, is that really? Military, well, that's national defense. That's really critical. But yeah, religious stuff, that's, that's so touchy-feel. That's so, so optional. And I think it's how they view the mission. And I wonder how we view the mission. How do we view it? So many people in contemporary religious life or more focused contemporary Christian life see, well, we're volunteers on this thing. And my church life and the mission, well, that's one part of my life. I've got my business life, that compartment. And if my life is a house, I've got a room that's my business, room for family, room for friends. And and I've got this church room. That, you know, that's my religious life, and it's a part of my life. And we see ourselves kind of as volunteers. And, and what I want to suggest is as we look at the lives of these people, and we see the way Paul talks about them in all these different places, that's really different because they didn't see themselves that way. In fact, they had a prevailing view that if they could talk to us, and here's the main point, write this down, I think they would tell us, there are no volunteers when it comes to the mission of the kingdom of God. There are no volunteers when it comes to the mission of the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. 
They didn't see themselves as volunteers. They didn't see themselves as part-time. They didn't see themselves as helpers. They saw themselves as critical agents for the most important mission to ever hit the planet. God's amazing plan of love and redemption for a world that is lost and in desperate need. They saw it as having powerful, eternal implications. And it changed how they viewed not only the mission, but how they saw their place in it. And I think we could use some time with them to rethink how we view our place in this mission. What is, are we just volunteers? Are we part-timers? Are we attenders, consumers, religious consumers? Or are we agents of the most critical mission to ever hit the face of the planet? Because it is God's mission of redemption for a world that is lost and separated from him. How do we view this? Because I think that's what those surveys kind of reveal, that not just how we view pastors, but how we view what we do, and by extension, what we as the church do. I want to, this morning, go over three beliefs that I think drove those first century believers that I think should wake us up and should drive us as well. First, belief. This is the way they assume things. We are servants of the Lord, and we should see ourselves that way. There's no volunteers when it comes to the mission of the kingdom because we are servants of the Lord, and we should see ourselves that way. Serving the Lord isn't just something that we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. We are people who've been redeemed. We were created by him. And then when we sold ourselves into the slavery of sin, he bought us back with his death on the cross. We're his twice. He has a right to my life twice. And when I become a follower of Jesus, I say, Lord, I turn the reins of leadership in my life over to you. I'm yours. And that is an absolute game changer. We are servants of the Lord, and we should see ourselves that way. Look how Paul writes about it in Romans 14, 7 and 8. He says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Do you, do you embrace that? As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, we belong to the Lord. You know, Paul said specifically in 1 Corinthians, he said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. That's hard language. Now we, and we have to decide, is he serious? Is that just, you know, imagery designed to kind of stir us emotionally? Or is that how God really sees it? We are servants of the Lord, and we should see ourselves that way. In Matthew 25... Jesus had been asked by his disciples, Lord, tell us what it's going to be like at the end of days. When everything is wrapped up, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like for us? What's it going to be like for people? And as I read this, Jesus tells them a story, a powerful story. And as I read this story, I want you to realize he wasn't talking just to leaders. He wasn't talking just to disciples. He wasn't talking just about pastors or missionaries. He was talking about the body, about believers. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. Jesus says, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Note, his servants, his property. His servants, his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. It's interesting. You don't all get the same talents. And as far as talents, we, we've adopted that term, natural abilities, and, and that's true. That's a resource we've been given from God. But think, 
resources, opportunities, gifts, natural abilities, talents, all those things. All those things rolled up. We haven't all been given the same thing. We haven't been given the same opportunities. But the beauty is we're going to find with the story, I'm not responsible for what I haven't been given. I'm only responsible for what I have been given. And we're going to see how God looks at this. And then he went away. Now, he who had received five talents, he went at once and he traded with them. He did business and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So they both get to work and they both multiply their resources by engaging them. Okay? But he who had received the one talent went and he dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. See, this is really the whole point. This is the answer to their question. One day we are going to settle accounts with the Lord. He's going to come, and we are going to stand before him. And the simple question is going to be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Faith, based on the book of Titus, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. And we hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.